0: Welcome to Living a Sex Positive Life, where we can guarantee the topic will be about sex. We'll talk about the good and the bad, the health and healing benefits, the adventures, the relationships, as well as the crimes and the tragedies. Our mission is to educate, entertain, and just talk about that touchy subject that affects us all, sex. Now here's your host, Angelique Luna.
1: Good evening, everyone. It's Angelique Luna. I'm here with my husband and co-host, John C. Luna
0: hello everyone
1: well we are right now at a mystery stump because we were supposed to have ruby uh johnson on the show to talk about uh what was the topic again it's like uh,
0: well it was the challenges
1: oppression suppression and subjugation of sexuality in her life oops hold on i think she's joining in
2: (laughs) hello this is angelique Angelique. This is Ruby Johnson. How are you? Good. We're already
1: live on the air because we wasn't sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're joining right in.
2: Oh, hi. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Awesome. Yes, I um, wasn't quite sure. Number one, Angelique, I saw on Facebook that you're going through, you know, there's, the hurricane and i'm like well you think it's going to still happen aren't you in the midst of the hurricane
1: yes but we are very blessed that nothing happened to us we didn't lose any power electricity or internet because god forbid our teenage daughter would die so
2: (laughs) yes so i'm i'm glad i'm glad that you're safe and you're okay
0: we definitely did dodge a bullet because we can look out our back window and see an entire separate neighborhood and there's no lights so it just really depends on you know where you were and how bad it hit certain neighborhoods are perfect and untouched Mm -hmm. others trees are down fences are down tiles and roofs are gone and uh it's you know no power no water so we're all just helping out each other as best we can
2: Oh, that's wonderful. Great sense of community. Good, good. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that I'm here with you.
1: Definitely. We're, we're like super excited here. You, you don't know how much I was like drooling over today's topic. I'm like, yes, we're taking some <laughs> fun stuff there. Because we finally have, as I call it, the dark side of sexuality on the show here. Not, not so much because of your African-American descent, but just you know, the oppression, suppression, subjugation that you've gone through. That is just, right. people need to know that. They need to know it's not always like flowers and dandy kind of deal so all right so right. this is sweet chatted away let me introduce you with, for formally <laughs> right okay so let's start with ruby johnson is a clinical sexual a social worker and sex therapist who has 14 years of experience in a variety of behavioral health settings currently she is she is private practice in Plano, Texas. Over the last four years, Ruby has been specializing in kink, polyamorous, and open relationships, as well as sexual and gender-fluent clients. Ruby has a strong family and group of the. Uh, intervention skills, sorry. <laughs> she is able to uh-huh. work with triads, quads, and polycules with power dynamics and communication problems. Ruby has published has published in various journals and in the African-American Encyclopedia of Criminology. She has presented at Kinky College, Consent Summit Association of Black Sexologists and Clinicians, American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and her proposal was recently accepted accepted by the National Sex Education Conference. Ms. Johnson is a contributor for Huffington Post, is on the faculty for the Kink Knowledgeable Program, and serves on the board for the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. Ruby is a CEO, founder, and organizer of Poly Dallas Millennium, LLC. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you so very much. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm like, "Damn, I sound good on paper." Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> I'm just like, "Yeah, but I also got a chance to see you present over at ASAC. That's when I'm like, "Girl, I need you on my show."
2: That's it. <laughs> okay. Yes. I remember you so bubbly. I know. It's a little ball of energy. Thank you for coming up to me afterwards.
1: So tell, okay, so we, you know, I know we want to talk about polydance, but I definitely want to hear your story and your journey and how everything came about. Because, yeah, it's not been like flowers and rainbows on your journey to become the woman that you are now, so.
2: Oh, no, 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 it hasn't. And um, when I talk about the oppression and the, um, it's also some disembodiment. It started, you know, as a young girl, I had, um, I was, sexually molested so my experience with sexuality from the very beginning I started at age six from the um, very beginning um, it was a hostile contentious scary boogeyman you know that's what sex was and because it was always something that was non-consensual. Now, this is my big brain going back. It, mm-hmm. was, it was something that was um, non-consensual. It was something that happened without my permission. Um, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And so I didn't really get in touch with consent or anything like that until I was 30 years old. And I'm 44 now.
1: Oh damn! Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I understand I understand your struggles on that um, because um, my diva is a survivor, but I made sure that she's being taught correctly so she could have a healthy sexual life. So I, I yeah. know how important that is, especially you know, so that way you could have like your cuddles and your feel good. And to wait for such a long time, wow. And I guess that's common with a lot of people if they don't have the right support system.
2: Right. And, you know, and I'm going to focus on, you know, my um, black American, you know, um, self living as a woman within mm-hmm. a society that, you know, uh, uh, seems to take their liberties with our bodies, right? Correct. And so when I was younger, even in the church because one of my perpetrators was um the pastor at my <laughs> church. Oh wow. You know, and so, grow- yeah, and so growing up, you know, I didn't really have a safe env- environment. One was my pastor and when I went home it was my brother.
1: Ooh. Um,
2: and then yeah, so it was a whole lot going on there. But the word consent wasn't even in my vocabulary. The word permission wasn't even in my vocabulary. I mean, I come from a house to where, you know, you were seen and not heard. You know, we didn't eat until Daddy ate first. Um, we were viewed as little nasty beings. You know, that's why, our, you know, we couldn't touch the food until Daddy touched it because he didn't know where our hands were. I mean, so it was a whole lot of, um, also around men for me and so the idea of even knowing how to verbalize and say you know let's have a conversation about dating or uh, you know let's have a conversation about if I don't like that you're touching me how do I say stop you can't do that so those are statements and questions and you know. those skills were not given to me younger, when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And so when I work with young African-American girls today, you know, I make sure that they have that type of language. It may not be exactly, you know, like consent, but permission is something that they can really get with.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think every child should be learned how to s- express their feelings and emotions that they, are ha- they have the option to say no it's like, no, I don't want to give a g- yeah. hug to auntie, I'll, you know, or I want to give her a high five. And it, and I have to agree, in, especially in the minorities, because I grew up in the Mexican household. So same mm-hmm. things that you go through as an African-American, we went through as, you know, um, growing up Mexican, old school Mexican, too. You know, so we always had fear of the mm-hmm. chancleta. So you will probably had the same thing, fear of the you know, the flip-flops. so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Fear the y'all. You, know, you mean like uh, the tools that were used to whoop our ass? Exactly. <laughs> oh, it was it was fear the switch and Mister Black. Mister Black was a black belt.
1: There you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that feeling. <laughs> but best leather makers were in it. Uh, Where was it? Somewhere in Mexico, Taca, Mexico. So yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. But you know, yeah. today I, I, you know, I have to use the black. Belt on other people, you know, being being a top, they they like that black belt. So that's but, another interesting conversation. Yeah, that was, was like, but
0: that comes with consent, so it's okay.
2: Yeah. Yes, yes, it's very empowering. It is very empowering where my sexuality is today. You know, from where it was, man. Um, it's 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 the vast difference of. Even when I was – I remember when I was 35, um, I was in a five-year relationship. And within that relationship, I would do anything he wanted just as long as he didn't leave me. And so there was things that I definitely did not want to do, but it was an exchange um, there to where I just – laid and let him do what he felt that he wanted to do to me Um, so I was sometimes complicit because I didn't know any difference difference. complicit in some of my um, own mistreatment on many levels and some people are uncomfortable when I say that Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a level of awareness of what I was doing and making a conscious decision that's how detached I was from my body. Wow. Even at age 35. Yeah. There's some deep stuff in it.
1: Yes it is. It, and it just goes to prove how important teaching young people, children about consent, teaching them about the you know that they have the power to say no with their bodies. You know, because then Mm -hmm. you don't have a very pleasurable sex life and you're just going through the motions, not really even enjoying it or feeling in body. I mean, do you see that a lot with your clients?
2: Yes, I do. And I like that you use the word pleasurable, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because sexual health and even your own sexual culture. Within your within your relationship, because we have a sexual culture, you know, as individuals, mm-hmm. um, what kind of culture and environment do we want to create for ourselves? You know, what is our sexuality and relationship model that we live to? What is our mission and vision within our sexuality? That's the kind of stuff that I teach clients, mm-hmm. um, and you know, give them the tools and the skills because the, like, mission and vision in my sexuality, I'm like, uh, yeah, what, you know, what, what's, I mean, is it hedonism? You know, I mean, mine is hedonism. Nothing <laughs> 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 wrong with that. You know, I am playing catch up, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> um, and and it's okay to have that, but it's about the ownership. You know, it's about you saying, what do you want? As long as it's not hurting anyone, you know, and you're not, you know, trampling over anyone else's civil liberties and and your own, you know, it's whatever you want it to be, non-shaming, non-judgmental. And what has happened with a lot of the um, women that are you know, white, black, um, Latina, a lot Asian women, a lot of women... That come into the office is that they don't realize that they don't have to be so reactive in their sexuality. They're just responding and reacting to whatever other people want. And so being proactive in their sexuality and saying, you know, this is what I want. This is what I would like, but I have to be able to communicate that to someone else is a really important um, place to be. But even before they get there, they have to even get in touch with what they feel about their body. Some of them have never even masturbated. Oh, I know that feeling. Don't even know where the clit, don't even know where the clit is.
0: There's such an absolute lacking of good education, e- even putting, you know, relationships aside sexually and then sexually in- involving with relationships that, You know, I'd love to see a change. There's always a fight going on for that, but then it falls on to the therapist and coaches to fill all that stuff in for everyone who missed it.
2: Right, absolutely. You know, and having actually therapists who can even have these conversations conversations themselves. You know, um, I'm in a... I'm in the deep south, you know... um, (laughs) as you all, um I think all of us are and the thing is when I'm in a group, when I'm in a particular like I work within the substance abuse field. I'm on a board of an organization and so there's clinical staff that are within the treatment facilities. If they can't say the word vulva or they don't even know what that is, how can they teach people about their bodies and sexual health and getting in touch with that. You know, um, it's such a taboo, um, uncomfortable word, concept for people to have. And if the people who are doing the teaching have the heebie-jeebies about it, the person across from you is feeling that. And they're recoiling, even with you giving them information So I'm very enthusiastic in my office, probably a little too much, but I'm very enthusiastic, you know, about the vulva. I'm enthusiastic about, you know, the ass, the breast, the the neck, the ears, the nose, all everything, your entire body is a place of pleasure if you will allow it to be or if you want it to be. Because the
0: nose, you have your, your, your smell,
1: you know, taste, listen. So all of that. Hmm. Well, I. No, no, go right no,
0: ahead. Tan- tangents are wonderful here.
1: Yeah, because that's everything that we think of. And it was like usually when I teach to parents how to talk to their kids about sex, it's like, look, I'm here to teach you so your kids don't show up at my office in a couple of
2: years. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. And so, I mean, what are, I mean, I'm trying to think of what are, because I have a lot of um, Karen Rain books. There's not very many, you know, there's not a whole lot of literature out there um, for children of color, you know, children who um, have their sexuality fetishized or um, who are in those groups to where, um, they're undereducated, or parents are uninformed, or haven't been taught themselves. Um, I'm just happy that my mom was a. Um, she's retired now. Was a nurse, so she wasn't afraid of the anatomy. Um, I did know that my menstrual cycle was coming; it wasn't a surprise. Uh, even though I went to her and said my brother was touching me, she didn't know what exactly to to, to do with that, or even probably understood what I was saying, but I was fortunate in that sense. But there's a lot of people, you know, who are not familiar with the anatomy and can't even use the proper language to discuss it or refer to it. And if it's treated as something that is uncomfortable and you do want to voice out, hey, you know, something is happening to me, this is happening to me, you know, um, having a understanding that this is not supposed to be happening because it's not something that's so disconnected. But the parents teach the children, uh, or the caregivers, I don't even want to say the parents, the caregivers or the the, the teachers, whomever teaches the child, um models to them if this is safe and this is okay and if it's even okay just to come and talk to me about it if something does happen Mm -hmm.
0: that's very important that they have someone to talk to Um, Mm -hmm. well I'm just going to jump around here I know you're from Texas and again I I love the people of Texas the laws there always just (laughs) make me shake my head but you've gone from uh, like you said, uh, uh, being sexually abused and and, and and having a family grow up where, you know, dad ate first and that. And now here you are, 44 years old, working with kink patients, being kinky yourself, being poly as mm-hmm. well.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What was that turning yes. point there? You said around 35 is where something yeah. happened?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was actually in 2012. And so I was maybe like oh shoot, thirty seven, thirty eight. At that time, um, a couple of years before, I had um, I lost the ability to have children. Um, oh, sorry. I had sorry. an emergency hysterectomy. Yeah, and so there was a whole lot of loss of a sense of any remnants that I have of being a woman at that time. And so I stayed out of relationships for like three years. And then I started to get back into relationships at, uh, in about, you know, 2012. I was teaching at um, one of the universities. Um, Some of my dreams were being realized. And then I met a guy. And this guy was, um, this guy is polyamorous. And so I had no idea what that concept was. Um, I know that there's some people who had, you know, what we call a don't ask, don't tell. I didn't know that was the language then, you know. But, you know, it, it's not unusual to to see people interacting in, in several relationships. But I hadn't underst- understood polyamory. And so that was my jump off point was meeting someone who was and is polyamorous. And then also meeting someone who is kinky. Now, I had always been in relationships with people, and I don't know how this happened, who liked me to, you know, put a collar on them or insert something or do, lead them around with, you know, buy boots and lick my boots. I don't know how it happened. I've always been in relationships with people that have said, you know, I have this sexual thing, and I haven't been able to do it with any other partner. You're the first one. You're not judgmental. So there were some things that were innate about me. I don't know if it's based upon, you know, me feeling shamed for most of my life. I refuse to shame someone else. Um, But... I got involved within the community fairly quickly. I didn't realize how thirsty that I was until I met someone that was so free. And I had also had, you know, I had a girlfriend. I've, you know, had a strong sexual attraction to women since I was in um, high school. But there was some shame around that also. But when I got into the polyamorous world, there was such a uh, lack of shaming, even around um, same sex you know, or, or same gender attraction. And I met a person who was really prominent within the uh, poly community. He was kinky and so it kind of took off from there. I believe the evolution of my sexuality from being oppressed and marginalized it's within a group that's already kind of marginalized but we allow each other to be who we are um, that catapulted everything about me that I had been suppressing because it was being oppressed you know the idea that I would be so flamboyant with my sexuality and not you know, committed to there's only one person, or committed to it has to be a cisgender man, and it has to be a cisgender black man, and it has to be a cisgender black man that was older than me, because I ain't got none of that today. My life is not surrounded by any of that. Um,
0: well, it's amazing like what meeting the right person and getting involved with the right group and finding acceptance can really do for your mind and your personality, how it can just elevate you and get you to do things you never thought you would before.
2: Right, and that was one of the things that was really important for me as I started to move past um, sexual abuse, um, not move past it, but get in touch with my body again, is I can say many things about um, my ex, who is now my best friend, by the way, one of my best friends. That's wonderful. Um, I can say yeah it's amazing how even polyamory has taught me that relationships don't have to end they transition and that that is something that's really really huge for me because i hadn't got in touch with i don't have to hate because we're not together anymore um so one of the things that he was able to offer me was I allowed him to touch my body in certain places, then I learned that it could be pleasurable. Um, and that was a gift. And so that I'm glad I had that foundation because when I got into the um, poly world, I'm just going to say you know i was like a kid in a cookie jar you know a a kid (laughs) in a a playground i mean it was everything was bright and shiny and i was the new thing and you know and i just let hey you know this is fun i'm enjoying this and i did have to struggle with a lot of jealousy because there was a territorial aspect still to my being um you know about other people being involved with relationships, but it was, um, it was very freeing because I got an opportunity to also explore that dominant side of myself. Um, it was, this is not very popular, but there was some race play um, that was involved there for me that I needed to have, I believe. I needed to explore because it allowed other things to come up and come forth.
0: I've heard of race play. I've I've never I've never done it, and I usually I don't I don't hear it a lot. Um, but it's not really a surprise that it could be therapeutic, because I know people who were um, sexually abused and went through BDA, certain BDSM activities to process through it. And once they're done, they basically well they shed the how would you put it the weight of the incident, as well as for some reason, no longer do those types of things in BDSM. So the the mind's a a strange thing when you can get through and process stuff.
2: Right. And there's something about, you know, as a therapist, this is one of the things that I believe is that we have the physical self, we have the um, emotional, the mental, we have the spiritual, you know, and I'm not talking spiritual in, in the sense of, you know, God. I'm talking more spiritual in the sense of our, in the sense of our humanness, um, us being human. And when you've spent a, in a world that says that you're less than human, right? Um, as, a, as a black woman, you know, history has unfolded, you know, that um, my experience is that I'm less than human. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not light enough. I'm not smart enough all of these things that's a bunch of bullshit, right? And I did say bullshit. Um Amen. <laughs> you could <can> cuss
1: <laughs> like a sailor. It's all
2: good. <laughs> okay. Oh good. 'Cause I my favorite word is fuck. And, <laughs> so um going through that place of where a world has told me that's the narrative for me. And then getting into a world, you know, um within the bdsm and kink community i do need to be careful with who i do this with but exploring some of those racial constructs was very powerful for me because there was a lot of self-loathing um i have a lot of strong african features you know i have full nose full lips um, dark skin i'm five foot eleven and gorgeous Um, i have an athlete oh, thank you. You're so sweet. I have, you know, I have an athletic build and a lot of people um, in my life told me that that wasn't attractive or et cetera. What I learned was that I was only listening to that negative shit. I couldn't hear the positive Mm -hmm. because that didn't fit into the narrative that I had going on. But when I got into polyamory and I got into kink and BDSM, man I could that was the loudest voice <laughs> and I was just I was like what shut the front door you like my ass what dude no, I liked your
1: no, boobies no. man you had some nice <laughs> you had a good look I'm like yeah oh, okay. okay I'm talking about it because I saw her present over at ASAC and you know that's why I <laughs> ran her presentation gorgeous girl come on it's like <laughs> people who know me I'm just like yeah I'm all about the boobies oh
2: and, you know, and, um, but I didn't, I hadn't had that level of someone either lusting or desiring or, you know, wanting to share in a pleasurable experience that wasn't necessarily in the bedroom. It was simply just sitting across from you and admiring all that you were that's sitting in front of them. And that was very empowering for me as a black woman and it wasn't that i needed that validation from white folk i just needed that validation from other people until i can learn to validate myself um and unfortunately within this community here in dallas it came from not it's not unfortunate it's just the truth it came from white people um more until i found black people um and it's probably very serendipitous that it happened in that course, but it's just really nice to be able to hear those voices.
0: Um, well, it's definitely very
2: different.
0: definitely very reassuring um, mm-hmm. but going on what you said about finding it from white voices first um we we're in Florida, and the dungeons mm-hmm. we go to are very um I won't say racially balanced but there's every ethnicity, it is it is very accepting, black, white, Hispanic. It, it is a good mix of them all. And we've heard from a lot of other people who have been in other places in the country that they go to a dungeon, and it is completely white bread. So I hate to say that, mm-hmm. but um, what has your experience been with that?
2: Oh, in- here in um, Texas? Oh, shit, yeah. You know, <laughs> I would go to... Um- I would go to a a munch, and it would be like four black folks, you know, even less um, Latinx folks. It would be even no people that were from North or South Asia. You know, um, it hasn't been until recently um, within the poly community because we're being a little more assertive. Um, that at Poly Dallas, we even have people that were from South and um, North Asia, people that were, you know, I had a phone call from someone who's in Japan, not, I know it's just one person, but it's just, it's really good to hear, but I I digress. So the private parties are a lot more diverse than it is in in the dungeons and the public spaces. And there's a reason for that. Um, Here in Texas, it's illegal for you to even engage in kink play. And so the public spaces are, um...
0: Kind of tame? Kind
2: of like a crapshoot? Huh?
0: I said kind of tame, then? Being yes, that BDSM tame, is illegal. But...
2: And also, it's both. <laughs> it's very tame, um, because any voluntary or involuntary, um, hitting with an object or anything is illegal in texas and so (laughs) private parties are where you'll find the most diversity but we only really have as of today we have two public spaces which is one is um, sanctuary and the other one is dark we have one called dark that started recently and we even have beyond vanilla that series which is one of the big ones um and this not as diverse as it could be we have a leather community that is not as diverse as it you know as it could be and it's also segregated and that's the issue is that no group talks to another group um within the leather group doesn't necessarily talk to other groups that are not a crossover with with leather we have the bears who some are the leather community it's just very segregated and so, my experience, because I tend to maneuver between all because of what i do um it's they're out there, but no one knows about each other, and we have even othered each other Wow,
0: and you get to be Switzerland handling everyone
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know um it's it's really awesome. You know, sitting on on the board of NCSF, I'm able to do a lot of consent workshops. Also, I'm fortunate enough that um, I have people and know people, and I'm able to go and visit um, and travel to some conferences. Like, I'm in L.A. right now at Catalyst Con. Are you here, Angelique? Are you here in L.A.? No, no.
1: no I, it's like with uh, everything going, and since I traveled the whole month of August, I wanted to stay home for a couple of months. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We were back to back conferences here in Florida. Uh, I did go to Woodhall. Then we went to FetishCon, Con, uh, Florida Power Exchange, and Florida Intensive Rope Experience. So yeah, it, it wow. was a busy yeah, it was a busy month there. And then after reading your bio, I'm like, there's more conferences that I didn't know about. I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> <laughs> I need to be sponsored or something to keep going because there's so much to yes. learn.
2: Yes, it is so expensive uh, what we do, you know, and it's the thing is it's it's about networking and relationships, but a lot of those network a lot of that networking and relationships are not necessarily funded mm-hmm. so i I can't tell you how much I've probably spent last year about thirty thousand dollars on conferences travelling and marketing for my own, and it's it's a lot of money, oh and that's yeah, my husband is like. You gotta fucking
1: stop this shit. You know? <laughs> we we can't because that's also the time that we could also connect with our friends. Because I've been traveling and doing the conferences for the last six years. Um, Catalyst Con, I know that those whole groups D they do a fantastic job. Like Dirty Lola's going to be there. Reed, I mean, I know like a good chunk of those people, but it's just like it's a nice family reunion. But I can't afford it right
2: now because <laughs> it's, it's you know. I understand. I understand, and I haven't met these people, and this is what I'm excited about. I've never met Greed, um, and I'm looking forward to meeting them in person, Mm -hmm. Um, and there's some people that I'm just excited to meet for the first time, even though we may know of each other's reputation, or Mm -hmm. they may not even know of me, but I know of them.
1: Oh, absolutely! You know. Yeah, that's how it was. My first time I went to Catalyst Con East. It was hysterical because we just went through Twitter and that's how we all connected we didn't have each other's phone numbers we didn't have how a way to connect other than twitter we were like hey meet us here meet us there and it was just one big like family reunion even though we've never met in person till that day and some of them like i've been talking you know two to three years via social media and it was just exciting just to meet in person so yeah i i know what giggly butterfly feelings you're going through once you meet these people in you know in person so
2: <laughs> yeah and girl Yep, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I'm excited to be. I'm, I'm hoping Dirty Lola is here. Yes, she is. Um, she's. Oh, my God. I, I'm
1: so excited. Yeah, I think she's also I presenting.
2: Know,
1: yeah, no, totally. She <laughs> is so yummy in many different aspects, like personality, education, everything. You, you're going to have so much fun. Her energy is so, yeah.
2: And I think she has bitty, too, um. so...
1: Yeah. Oh,
2: yes. I'm really excited to meet that. And these are people that, you know, oh, my God, their bodies and who they are and just the acceptance of being woman and being powerful is that is what is so intoxicating for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Even after these years, it's still I'm still not quite quenched. And I hope I never become quenched you know I hope I always I'm always in a in a place of modesty and humility you know so that I can remain enthusiastic and excited and and curious and you know I kind of force myself to stay in that position because it's the most exciting Um, I don't want to get burned out I know um, that's already happened a couple of times but I strive to get burned out you know and I strive to to stay enthusiastic Um, and people have this misnomer, you know, because I'm doing all of this, I'm, I'm fucking at, at every place that I go to. (laughs) I think I've had had less sex in the last two years than my, you know, since I've been on this, you know, in the polyamorous community. Shit. You just don't want to do it. I don't know if you had that experience yes we do <laughs> yes
1: yes So going to these conferences and everything yeah they're like there's a these amazing sex parties everything but half the time you're just exhausted because you're like busy bubbly connecting yeah, yeah and it's like I have another uh sex therapist and she's the same way she's eight years she's gone to conferences has not had any sex time or play time because it's all about socializing connecting you know learning and getting new things and it's the same thing for me it's like I go there to the workshops as much as I want to down chill I just I'm I'm thirsty I'm knowledgeable I want to help everyone by you know telling everybody stories like yourself you know that you're not alone that there's other people like you it might be just one person but still there's the information there's yeah. the stuff yeah
2: absolutely Absolutely, and I have a an, another thing if if we have time to oh, talk yes. to you about sex and conferences.
1: Oh, absolutely. Let me hear your story.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, I've I've had this this big motto throughout my entire professional um, career as a therapist, and you know, just don't shit where you eat, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, don't start fucking people, and so. Um, something has happened over the last year, um, Angelique, and I don't know, if John, I don't know if y'all get this, but people start kind of like coming into your preview, you know, like at one o'clock in the morning, just naked. I don't know if this happened to you, um, and so I was at Poly Dallas, and I have a mentor. I have someone that I talk to who runs a conference, and he says, Ruby you don't have sex at your own conference and I'm like okay I won't do it I believe you you have experience I won't do it and then it ended up happening to me Uh. I had sex this is a lot of information I can't believe I'm doing this live Mm -hmm. (laughs) I had sex you know at at Poly Dallas and you know me and the young lady we, we end up talking afterwards and what she told me something that kind of twisted me up about you know about six weeks later she goes you are a celebrity to me and I'm like oh my fucking god I don't Ah. I mean power differentials is (laughs) power differentials is really big for me and I don't like that I don't like I was uncomfortable with that and then I started to understand why my mentor said that Mm -hmm. It's, it's It's really, really, because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't done it, and it happened, and I didn't have any guilt until six weeks later, but that's one of the things that I have to be really careful of, is that there's a responsibility to any leadership role, even if I don't believe that I'm in a leadership role, there still is a responsibility, and in... Um, Accountability. And this may not be a popular voice because I've talked to people about this. Mm -hmm. But for me, I understand when you're in a house, and basically my symposium is my house. When you're in a house and you have someone else in there, don't exploit them. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: I take that really seriously. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Have you heard of that before?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, we, we, we hear that a lot there. Well, I'll tell it from my perspective because I've been in the hospitality industry for like 20 plus years here in Central Florida. And that's like one of uh-huh. those things that they tell you right away, your reputations, everything, and you have power of your presence so depending on who you sleep with it depends on how your reputation goes and that actually terrorized me from never sleeping with any of my clients any of my vendors anything just because I did not want that bad reputation or that control or someone controlling over me or me controlling over them so yeah that
2: mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's and that shit won't ever happen and I and I've been sharing this story Mm -hmm. you know um to help myself stay accountable and to offer my experience that someone told me gave me the suggestion and for whatever reason I didn't follow it and then there's the repercussions afterwards now me and the young lady are still talking she doesn't feel that you know the way that I feel necessarily however I did tell her how I felt about that and how uh, how uncomfortable that I am and I would like to start a f- you know start again you know with the with it's more even and so we're going to continue because I'm so happy she said that she's willing to continue cuz she is so awesome <laughs> That is great. good to hear <laughs> <laughs> Well and she's so hot
0: It's funny because the first two, like I said, we went to four conventions uh, in August. And the first two, we were just so busy and it was great. We end up, you know, you get back to the room, you eat. You're like, okay, there's a party. We'll take a little nap. Next thing you know, it's morning. So Uh we needed a plan better. Then the next two conferences, we actually did broadcasting from. And we actually, for for the majority of it all, except for one day, we worked. And we met so many great people. And it was just so weird, even, you know, even before we started broadcasting, that uh, because it was fairly local, it was only the town over, uh, over in Tampa. Um, a few people knew us and knew our names that I didn't know. I'm used to, you know, you don't. You, when people you know come over and say hi, that's that's normal. When someone who have no idea walks over to you and points and goes, "You're John, and you're from," and you mentioned the show and stuff, it, it's one of those really surreal. Oh my God, people are actually listening. <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. Yeah.
2: Yes, yes, indeed, yes, indeed. And, and it's, what a, it's, it's a huge blessing, but it can sometimes be uh, kind of freaky. It,
0: it, it, it is. It takes a little to get adjusted to. And, again, we'll say minor, minor, sub-minor celebrity, as someone once said. I would never want to be the Brad Pitt and go everywhere and have that happen. That that just seems like it would be really annoying
1: but here's the thing we're in such a small industry the sexuality you know educators and therapists that we are kind of big celebrities who are really making waves talking about things that make people uncomfortable but it needs to happen these conversations need to happen to understand like this is what the background came from so let's push and get rid of it you know and let's all have pleasurable sex together
2: right right and she said all of us together. Yes.
1: And then, yes. Can we all come to Florida? Oh. Once we
0: rebuild, sure.
1: Sure. Oh, you would definitely love Florida intensive rope experience. You would love fire. I don't know if you're into roping, but that was one of our favorites there. But also, um, Florida Power Exchange. That was good because that was a lot of like relationship and community building there. So especially See,
2: that, in that sounds. That sounds like something I'm going to add
1: to my list next year. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just don't
0: have your husband blame us for another convention.
1: Well, he can come. He can come. I mean, come on. Yeah. You
0: see, that's why I can't complain about all these conventions because she brings me. And then I have a lot of fun. I'm like, okay, we have to add this for next year, too, because now all of a sudden it's, it's okay, where do we actually have vacation with family or children because we have all these conferences to go to? And I still have a full-time job
1: and a the vacation oh, period yeah uh-huh. <laughs> yeah that that, that was our, our our august where like there was like no enjoying anything there it was just like, even we've gone to washington dc arlington like five times and i kid you not we've never seen the city
2: oh yeah
1: <laughs> we just go to the conference and we leave that's
2: it <laughs> wow yeah, I'm in LA, or I'm like, but everything's here at the hotel, and I'm and I'm in the middle of an airport. I probably won't get out and see LA.
0: They have a very beautiful airport, though.
2: <laughs> yes, this is big as <laughs> shit. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about Poly Dallas. Is that a once a year convention or?
2: Yes, um, Poly Dallas Millennium. It's an annual um, symposium. And it happens the second weekend in July. Um, this will be our fourth symposium. Um, it's July 13th through the 15th. We have um, some featured speakers. We have uh, Jay Mace. We have Meg John Barker. We have Kevin Patterson and Chris Smith. Um, Marla Stewart with Sex Down South. So we have some awesome Um, featured speakers coming up but the symposium is unique in my humble opinion because number one is the only one of its kind that's in texas um it's a polyamorous or um ethical non-monogamy uh centered symposium and its main audience that it targets is folks of color now everyone is invited, of course, but the the speakers, the workshops, everything, um, since the beginning, it's been 60% or more have been folks of color. This last year, I kid you not, um, it had to be with, an, with attendees, 75% were people of color were our attendees last year. That's um, fantastic. And so, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you mentioned Sex Down South. Um, We had actually attended it, not this last year because it was canceled, but the year before. And we had an absolute ball. That was so much fun.
1: Of course, you were like one of four white guys in the whole conference. (laughs) That's why you were memorable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, John, you're white? Yes, I am.
1: I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> He's the white. I'm the Mexican. So it, it gets kind of hysterical because we ran into someone over at Woodhall who like looked mm-hmm. at John. And it's like, oh yeah, I remember you as sex down south, but I don't remember you. And I'm like, yeah, because he was the only white guy, and I kind of blend in because I'm kind of dark skinned like everybody else. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's cool. But wasn't it nice to be in, in that space,
0: John? Um, I grew up in New York City. So race was really, uh, there's always always racist, and especially New York City, 80s, there was, but race was never a thing for me. I've dated black, white, obviously married Hispanic, and going in there, I never really, you know, it, it never really occurred to me, and I was uh, at one of the parties later at night, I think on the second night, and they were doing presentations and doing, you know, uh, uh, dances It was very entertaining, having fun and I just, the person next to me who was another little older white guy turned around and he goes, I never thought I would have so much fun here. And I kind of looked weird and like, why, this is fantastic. He's like, look around. And at that point I kind of looked around and went, oh yeah, so I am the minority in this room. Cool. And just, it never really occurred to me much.
2: Yeah, yeah. It. it's, I know that this is, I'm I'm trying to be careful of how I say this. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna say it. Just say um, it. Go for it. Know, just un unfortunate not a it's but my experience is that I do notice mm-hmm. a lot. Um, yeah. because it's such a sad place to be because I am automatically when I walk into a room I look for someone who looks like me. It's mm-hmm. automatic because I need to have that sense of, of comfort. There's something um, about uh, I like um, how Kevin Patterson puts it about being the ambassador for all black people that is exhausting, and seating, uh, you know, seeking someone who looks like me black, brown, um, you know, a, whatever just seeking, seeking another person of color is kind of like a self-preservation mode that I go into. So I always find it very interesting um, when I do hear those narratives um, with people. Uh, not, you know, it's a sense of comfort that they have. And I'm just wondering what does that feel like? Because I don't think I've had that. I know I haven't.
1: Yeah, I, I could kind of relate with that I'm you. Debbie Downer. Yeah, no, 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 no. I could ta- kind of relate with that because When I went to ASAC this year, I was scared shitless. I will tell you that. Because, A, I didn't see that many Hispanics like me, let alone um, not a therapist because everything was predominantly white. I think I saw only 25% of diversity out of, you know, 700 attendees. And that was, to me, was like, holy shit, you know. And I'm, like, analyzing everything. And I was like, am I going to fit in? Am I with the right crew? You know, especially when you're kinky and different you know you don't have the whole friggin' alphabet after your name it's like Mm -hmm. are, are they going to trust you are they going to accept you are they going to respect your knowledge and information you know because i know how tough the uh criteria is just to get certified as a therapist let alone an educator and kudos to you for becoming both that's a huge you know step i think right there you know because a lot of people need that so,
2: yeah, and, and it's expensive as hell. And I, and I keep telling myself to keep, keep persevering and, and going forward, you know, because on many levels, it's yes, it's a, for professional development. Um, I was doing this gig before I had it before I because I still don't have the certification but I'm in um the that process and I'm at um the University of Michigan getting all the education. And Dr. Wadley, who's my mentor, I'm going go ahead on and mention his name, he mm-hmm. stated to me, you know, you have a responsibility to other black girls that look like you
1: mm-hmm.
2: and they they need role models. They need to know that it's possible to go somewhere. Um and even though I didn't ask for that, I can understand exactly how that is needed. And so that's why, you know, the um, Women of Color uh, Sexual Health Network is so important to me because I do I do need to see, even for me, I need to see other role models uh, within that space. And I'm a therapist, you know, and... Let me tell you, I have my master's degree, and I'm a social worker, and that's the terminal degree. You know, a Ph.D. is not needed unless you're going to do research or teach. But when I go to many places, they ask, you know, do you have that Ph.D.? Do you have whatever, you know, that says a stamp of you are somebody? And I tell them, no, I don't. And there's been many doors. Shutting my face And I've considered getting that PhD But I'm too old I'm too tired and I'm too in debt Fuck it (laughs) Somebody else can do it
1: now, you're doing already a lot of work there, Ruby. No, 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 no. I don't underestimate what you're doing. You're doing a lot of changes. You're shaking up a lot of trees. You're doing fantastic. So if they want the F- the PhD, fuck them. I'm sorry. I'm in the same boat. I- I'm like, I'm 42. Do I really want to put more effort? Now, the only reason I took the King Therapy Certification Institute is because my friend created the program, and she just went dumb on me. She's like, you're doing this. I'm like, what? I was like, no, you're doing it. I'm like, fine, fine so i took a year uh, you know kink center you know ktci certification program i'm being certified as a kink certified educator fine i got that that's pretty much it because everything else has been the school of hard knots learning it passing the information surrounding myself with people who are knowledgeable and just say hey you know if i don't know it i'll find you someone who does it like yourself on this interview there you know i'm Sharing the wealth of information. And if people need that friggin' slab of tree, it's like, no, you only need it to prove whatever else. It's like, it kind of reminds me of um, Hidden Figures. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Yeah, it, uh, the one character that she had to fight to go back to school because every time yeah. she gets all the requirements, they raise the bar even higher. So it's like, that's ridiculous. Right. So And that's where we are sometimes as sexual educators there that, you know, that we finally got a level and they're like, nope, you got to go higher. And it's like some of us just say, screw it. I'm still doing some change in the world and educating people and making them understand sex is pleasurable. Relationship's... You have consent. You have so much information out there that you're normal, and whatever normal is, is you know that's your comfort level. as I consider it.
2: Yeah, and you know, and I'm going to go political for like three minutes. Go for you it. Know, um, that that raising the bar, you know, in in fields. You know, um, I am a forensic social worker, and so I do certain testimony and all of that stuff. And so they decided this past legislative uh, session to raise the bar to PhDs can only do things. And I was, like, thinking, because I know some of the PhDs that actually make those decisions, it's about opportunity hoarding. And so when the bar keeps getting raised, it's because someone is getting insecure Mm -hmm. financially. And that shit fucks with me. Because those people, I know exactly who they are, and I know exactly what they look like. And I know exactly why I have an issue with it. And it's white men who have the ability to make those type of power decisions, and the women and the folks of color and, you know, the other marginalized groups who had to make a choice to not take that extra 30000 and get that Ph.D., you know, um, that opportunity is no longer there. So they're having to not take in new clients. It's, it's cutting them at the knees. And that's the piece that also bothers me about ASIC because there's things that it just it can become more and more stringent to the point to where it pulls it out of reach.
1: Oh, and absolutely. To me, that's
2: strategic and purposeful. So mm-hmm. I'm back now.
1: Yeah. No. 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 no I'll,
0: I'll, I'm going to jump on that bandwagon because it's not only racial; it's it's financial. It's people yeah. who have the money and the resources who are raising that bar, so we can't do the job to get the money and the resources. And it's it's right. they have the power, and it's it's very unfortunate. Um, but the point is, if you're helping people and you can make a living, uh, those are pretty much the two important things. The paper doesn't matter. Um, I I do have a master's. It's just funny because my master's is in business. Nothing to do with this. And actually, my bachelor's is in computer science. How I ended up here eventually um, is a very long trip. But, uh, you know, as long as you're helping people, you're spreading the word, you're doing the education, screw them.
2: Oh, my God. Angelique, you and me have parallel lives. (laughs) My husband is a software engineer, and and he travels with me to do sex education. He'll be here tomorrow (laughs) to sit with me (laughs) at the booth, (laughs) and he's actually getting his social work degree now. Because he's making a career change. I'm like, oh my God, that's a huge income dump.
1: But. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's why I told him. It's like, no, you're not leaving it. And, and the funny part is we ran into other couples in the same situation. Like the husband is a techie guy and the wife is like in sex education, sex therapist. Oh, yes. This is this relationship dynamic is very common. <laughs>
0: but see. Interesting. I think there's something about, and I'll go out there and say it, geeks. Because that is exactly what I am. I love Star Wars and Star Trek. I program for a living. And now I actually teach at a college, software development. But we always go towards kinky, out. of outspoken women.
2: <laughs> really?
0: And I'd love to see a survey. Because if I go through my list of my friends who are in the software field, and I've met plenty of their wives. It, it, for the ones I, I know, they are kinky. And the ones I don't know, it wouldn't surprise me if they were. So.
1: <laughs> we should have them take a Nikki therapist uh, attachment uh, survey there. Because one of my friends, for classmate, uh, she's doing an attachment polyamory survey to do uh, for her thesis. Or, no, it's her dissertation. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it, it, and it's interesting, some of those questions there and everything. So, yeah, it, well, I, I, I should forward it to you to so forward it to your little people there to uh, take it. it, it it's, uh, it's interesting questions, dynamics there.
0: I think I'm going to do a Facebook questionnaire now. I need to do one of those. Are you a software developer? Yes. Are you kinky? <laughs>
1: Define kinky. Is it roping? Is it BDSM? Is power exchange? Come on, there's a lot. <laughs> I know. It
0: doesn't matter where you are, just as long as they're kinky. We do, we Because we, it's true. We look at stuff, and we're like, what else can we do with that? You know?
1: Uh-huh.
0: You, even before I was kinky, you'd walk through the kitchen aisle going, man, that spatula looks like a great uh, paddle.
1: Yes, I already did that. Disney pervertibles. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, uh, do anything for science. They'll do anything for science,
1: man. <laughs> Ruby, this has been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for all Thank the information you. and everything. How can everyone find you?
2: Um, they can find me in a couple of places. The, my main hub is www.blacksexgeek.net. Um, or my cell is 214-399-6286 I don't mind people calling me it's everywhere Um, and please you can find me also at PolyDallasMillennium next year you can go to polydallasmillennium.com and you can get all of the information you need
1: awesome you can find me everywhere on living a sex positive life social media website. It's uh, Twitter. It's living a sex p life, and we like to thank our sponsor, the Witched Orlando, who is having an ABC party this weekend. So I'm still trying to figure out what I could do with all the condoms and lubes that we had from our conferences, so that could turn into an interesting outfit.
0: Well, we will definitely be <laughs> at that ABC party. <laughs> But, uh, let's see, my birthday had just passed, and I was planning to go to the woodshed. Unfortunately, a little hurricane came by and shut down, well, the city. So, this Saturday, we'll be at the woodshed. And for anyone out there who wants to reach me, uh, I'm on Life Facebook and Twitter as John C. Luna. Say hi, post some questions, and just let me know you're out there.
1: Thanks, everyone, for listening. Have a good night. Good night. Bye-bye.